and welcome to TV Watch, a podcast from Digital TV Europe, taking a look at the biggest news and trends in the worlds of broadcasting, streaming, and everything else to do with the TV industry in Europe and further afield. I'm Jonathan Easton, Deputy Editor of Digital TV Europe, and on today's show, I speak with BBC Head of Women's Sport, Anna Thompson, about the broadcaster's successful summer with Euro 2022 and the Commonwealth Games. It is not hyperbole to describe this summer as groundbreaking for women's sport in the UK. While women's sport, particularly football, with the growth of the Women's Super League, has seen increasing audiences over the past few years, the record-shattering Euro 2022 tournament has really represented a sea change in attitudes towards women's sport in the country, and there's no going back. Names like Leah Williamson, Alessia Russo and Ella Toon are now household names in England and will be idols of kids growing up across the country, regardless of gender, following England's triumph. And that was a triumph witnessed by a record broadcast audience of 17.4 million households on BBC One and a further 5.9 million across the BBC iPlayer and BBC Sport app. Across the European Broadcasting Union's 55 member nations, 280 million people watched the tournament, while in-person attendance broke the overall record before we were even done with the group stage. Joining me now to discuss what this all means for women's sport going forward, along with the BBC's role in elevating women's sport via not just the Euros, but also the recently wrapped Commonwealth Games, is the BBC's Head of Women's Sport, Anna Thompson. First of all, I just want to congratulate you and the BBC on a fantastic summer of women's sport. Starting with the Euros, I think we all knew that it being a home tournament and seeing the growth in the WSL and the popularity of the World Cup of 2019 that people would be tuning in. But were you expecting quite the figures? I think I was hoping that we would get, obviously, some good figures. Well, definitely for the final. I think, I mean, for me, when England were losing against Spain, 1-0 down against Spain in the 80-something minute, I wasn't really concerned because I thought if they went out in the quarterfinals, that would be a huge blow, obviously, not just for the tournament, but for legacy and, and women's football in this country. So the fact they managed to turn that around, which was remarkable and, and brilliant, and obviously went all the way and won, um, that we knew then that we would get the b- big figures. I mean, I was hoping, yes, I was hoping obviously we beat the World Cup in 2019 figure, which was at, um, 11.7. Uh, and I, I thought, you know, if we can get it around 13, 14 million mark, that'd be brilliant. But then to, you know, peak at over 17 million, and that was just on TV. Then we had another 6 million either on iPlayer or the website. It, that was just phenomenal to sort of think of the amount of, people in this country watching women's football. So I think, yeah, I think quite rightly, we were blown away by the the figure in the final. Obviously, so much attention on the England team from viewers in, in the UK, obviously. Were you finding that viewers were interested in the entire tournament as well and watching matches they wouldn't necessarily normally watch? I think in the early stages, a lot of the matches that weren't included in England, the figures, they were okay, you know. And I think, you know, if you put it into context, they're still around 1.2 million or something like that is the average figure for the uh, for the other for the other teams. And, that, you know, you sort of put that into context of watching women's sport, that is, that is huge, you know, but obviously if you then compare that to what that would be if that was a men's tournament, it, it wasn't huge. But 
I think they, those figures were fine, but then obviously as soon as we got to the knockout stages, then all the figures were really healthy. The the Germany uh, France uh, semi final peaked at a really high mark, and I know obviously in, in, again in Germany and obviously in France it was it was well shown as well. So so I think once we got to those knockout stages, but yeah, I think people were interested in the lionesses because it's a huge story. It's England doing well, and obviously Northern Ireland were there as well in their first major tournament, and people were interested in that. But it's still trying to get those casual fans who who are interested in women's football to watch more than just England and, and Northern Ireland, which they did when it got to the knockout stages. Just looking at the uh, figures that the European Broadcasting Union put out, audience of over 280 million people across the continent. Wow. So that's across 112 member organisations from 55 countries. You've, yeah. You had an audience of... 21.8 million watching the final in Germany. The the one that I thought was the most crazy was in Iceland, where obviously a very small population, but the final attracted an average of 51,900 viewers, which represented 98.2% viewing share of the available audience. Wow. <laughs> so it just shows how, you know, how much the tournament just captured the attention of the continent. Yeah, yeah, and actually, because I, I went to one, I went to see Iceland against Italy, and you know they brought a healthy amount of fans over, you know. So considering they say considering it's such a small population, so they they really do love their, well, they love their football, but obviously they love, they love their women's football. So it's great that even though obviously Iceland didn't qualify for the latter stages, that the the fans were still interested in watching the the tournament as a whole. Within the BBC, how much I don't know how much you can talk about this, but was there a push or pull behind the scenes to give the Euros this elevated platform that it deserved, or was there like this universal feeling that this is the big thing. We all have to get behind it. I think, I mean, you know, the BBC has invested in, in women's sport and in women's football for well well over a decade now. You know, we did cover the 2009 uh, championships. Um, so for uh, for the BBC, it has been like this gradual momentum building, you know, from London 2012 when we had football in the Olympics and, and you know, Team GB playing in the men's and women's tournaments. And then obviously the WSL, which again, the BBC at the outset, we had the highlight show and then obviously we've been showing live games. And and obviously that was big last year when obviously we, we've joined with with the with Sky showing live live games as well. So like for us, like we've been on this journey with women's football as it has grown. And, you know, obviously we didn't have the Euros in 2017. And I know we were quite annoyed we didn't get those in 2017. And obviously Channel 4 did a brilliant job. But then obviously to make sure we did have the World Cup in 2019 was this massive launch, wasn't it? To, uh, you know, obviously the world's best teams there. And that I think that really put the football on the map that it needed to do and then obviously off the back of that the WSL has, has been developing so I think for for the BBC it's what we're trying to do with all women's sport it's it's just it's just sport it's not men's it's not women's it's just sport and it's just these you know like amazing um tournaments and 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 oh, sorry the dogs come in now <laughs> just amazing tournaments that that you know that we showcase so, so there was a push because we had a marketing push and actually you know, we did in 2019, we did our, our change the game where we're trying to change people's attitudes to to women's sport. And actually this year we sort of said, well, actually, we've gone past that now. You know, it, it isn't having to change perceptions anymore because those people know about it now. So now this year is all about we know our place and we know our place is, you know, selling out Wembley and winning the Euros at Wembley. And it's, uh, you know, the Commonwealth Games. It's, uh, you know, so so we sort of like changed 
the marketing but what I'd like to say is that with the marketing in the past they, they wouldn't work that closely with editorial but since well before 2019 and for that campaign and for this campaign we've worked very closely to make sure that we are linked um and that we are showcasing you know sport and women's sport across all the platforms so it's a very long way to say it of, of course we obviously put put a lot of effort behind the euros but it is like it's a major tournament you know we've got the rights and we want to make sure that we, we're showcasing those to as many people as possible and that's why you know most of the games practically all the games were on network television even those that aren't there's um, you never know how long this is going to last with uh, the rights becoming more and more valuable but valuable but with the uh, with the WSL you've got the FA player app where you can watch all of the matches for free that aren't on Sky or BBC so it's really really good that there is that accessibility yeah yeah I think for me what we need to see though is obviously those people who were genuinely interested in watching the Euros and going to matches actually then going to watch them in the WSL because that's where, you know, unfortunately, I think because of COVID, the bounce after the World Cup 2019, it didn't really happen because of COVID. So I am hoping, you know, this year there definitely will be that bounce. And I think there will. And the fact that obviously a lot of the teams are now having some matches at the at the bigger stadiums, you know, that can only be a good thing as well. So we are getting there, but I think we definitely need to see that this time after after England win the Euros. If, you know, if they're not, if they're not going to do it now, then you know they're not uh, they're not going to do it. I mean, the good thing is from a women's football perspective that they don't have to wait long for another tournament because there's the World Cup obviously next year um, because of the delay to the Euros this year. So, so that's good. Yeah, <laughs> Shame it's New Zealand and Australia, unfortunately, from a time yeah. perspective. Well, it's 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 funny one from from me because my first experience, what really got me into football, showing my age, was the 2002 World Cup, and uh, they put the matches on in in when I was in primary school, put them up in the assembly when it was on at like eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, so it would be kind of a similar experience to that, I suppose, in terms of the time difference. But it's uh, good that you mentioned that carrying the momentum forward because I was going to mention as well the uh, message that Gabby Logan gave at the very end of the of the broadcast talking about you know even if it's just going to one or two matches even if it's just you know supporting your local team and just seeing what it's about really it's you know it's not all going to be 90,000 people at Wembley but uh, it's really about carrying on that momentum so that can become a more regular thing rather than an exception to the rule definitely yeah yeah you know and I thought I mean even though I was, I was involved in the in the BBC in the Euros obviously I didn't see Gabby's script so I don't know you know, I'm assuming, you know, she wouldn't have said anything she didn't believe. So that's great that she and she put that out there to say, you know, yeah, this is the great. But, we, you know, we've not made it. We need to now carry it on. And uh, and I say that is through the WSL and then also through, as you say, not just WSL, the championship, all the tiers that are going down. And then also, yeah, you say like the FA Cups and, and the League Cups as well and Champions League and, and, and then the uh, the World Cup next year. So, it, it, but yeah, I do think... You know, because I said it is almost like quite a lazy, you know, we get people, you know, who cares about women's football. And we got that. We got that at the start of the tournament. But by the end of it, you know, they looked a bit stupid, really, didn't they? If they were still because, you know, you see how much the skill levels have come on. But, you know, you've also got to remember that actually it's only in 2018 the WSL went fully professional. So, you know, it's very, very still in its infancy, in a sense, even though. Obviously, we know about the ban that ended, you know, at the late 60s, early 70s. But it's not like women's football's sort of like been invested in heavily since then. It's only very, very recently that teams have come on board. You know, again, like Manchester United, they only had a women's team. Well, they used to have a women's team, in them, but they've only invested uh, in the WSL since since 2018. Obviously, Man City, you know, they got involved a few years earlier than that. So 
it, it is it's just we are now seeing it and they say if we can't now make league sustainable and, and and people want to watch it at this point we're never going to do it are we so uh so yeah so we do need to carry it on but i, I did think they were great words you know from from uh from gabby to sort of like say it because it is a bit of a rallying call to say you know you've watched this now you know go and put your bums on seats at a wsl game yeah and i mean especially it, it you know times being what they are economic hardship and everything i you know uh I can go down to Kings Meadow and spend a tenner for a ticket and sit down and watch the match and get, you know, up close with the players. Whereas if I'm going to up to Stamford Bridge, that's going to cost me 100 quid or something. So it's it's a much cheaper day out. And if people want to get to football, it's a great way of uh, seeing sport at the top level. Yeah, yes, yeah, so you've got that. And I said as well, I think we sort of like... I think people really enjoy just the enjoyment of the whole tournament, you know, because and I don't know whether it's just because it didn't have the baggage of the men's try to win the tournament, you know, since 1966 in that sense. But um, there was just that absolute joy of enjoying watching football rather than it being, you know, sinister, any uh, hooligans around or people causing trouble. We obviously didn't have that, which we'd had the year before, unfortunately, in the men's uh, final. So I think, you know, it's just, uh, and to me, it just it becomes that safe environment again. I mean, I, you know, I've watched men's and women's football for a long, long time, uh, way, way before 2002, let me tell you. I mean, I've been, you know, going to watch football since I was, oh God, since, well, the uh, the 80s. So, uh, you know, and, and, and for me, I'm used to going to men's games where, you know the atmosphere isn't that nice, and but I've 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 learned to to live with that. But you know when you're then bringing young children, you start thinking, well, actually, you know, I don't want them to go to that thing. So so uh, yeah, to me, it just becomes a, a safe environment to enjoy football, and I think we've sort of like shown that as well. So I think that can be a boost this year as well. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree. And especially I think it's as, as well uh, a much more welcoming environment, not just for kids, but for, for just broader uh, groups in society. It's a lot more inclusive of LGBTQ plus people. I, I know that there was a big discussion in the Euros about a lack of representation of, of black minority players in the yeah. England women's team. And I think that's something that's it's good that we were having those discussions because it's something which is going to be uh, it's going to have to be a focus going forward to make it less less white as it were um but i i totally agree with what you're saying there in terms of being a much more welcoming environment to go to as a fan but um just to bring things back from a broadcaster perspective you've obviously covered so many tournaments as the bbc going abroad what were the unique difficulties and positives of covering a home tournament um yeah i mean i think a home tournament you it's it's just uh, what i really enjoyed was actually the buzz you know so all the and i know again people think oh why have you got matches in lee and wigan you know why have you got you know matches in rotherham or whatever but um, but actually, I think it, it was great that it was able to create that buzz in the in the areas that it was held. So, <clears throat> I mean, it, it did it did work. I mean, I, I did feel there were certain things like from a media perspective that, you know, I think UEFA probably underestimated how popular it might be for the media. So we couldn't always get press accreditation for some of the games. And I know that wasn't just us. That was for the whole of uh, the media. So because the only, you know, the, like, for example, it's... Um, at Bramall Lane, you know, they didn't have enough press seats. So, so there were certain things like that where I think they did underestimate the actual amount of interest there would be for the media as a whole, obviously from the broadcast and from the, the written side and, and uh, you know, podcasts and, and, and online uh, journalism as well. So there was that. Um, and I think as well, I think you could just, 
I think sometimes when you're abroad, you don't realise the effect it's having in the UK, you know. So obviously when you talk to, say, like 2015, when it was in Canada, it was very hard to know. We knew they were doing well, but how hard, what that was translating back at home. So I think it, it being a home tournament, you could really like feel the the clamour and the, and the and all the excitement and you know obviously and I think that really did rub off on the lionesses because I think again if if it was abroad they'd be in their little bubble and they, you know they'd probably get to hear certain things but it's hard to understand the actual excitement around the country if you're not there so I think those are probably the more um that the differences like sometimes you're in a little bit of a bubble and, and sometimes you get caught up in that bubble and then realize actually it's not as big at home as it is it is that you're thinking it is but then it can go the other way as well where it's actually bigger than you think, but you're not really understanding how big it's become back home. So I think in that sense, you could just really see the areas that, it, that where they had the games. And as I said, you know, they're in areas which have been big for women's football. You know, I've seen Man United play at, at um, Lee Sports Village. So I think I thought it was fantastic they actually had games there because there's obviously a little bit of a fan base there that would, would watch Man United anyway. And then, you know, obviously then other fans went to watch it as well. So I thought it was very clever, but also at the same time, you know, when... Alex Scott, because, you know, she did a documentary for us and I know she's been involved, obviously, in, in helping plan the Euros as well. And and it was, you know, they said that when these when they were first announced that it was going to be in England, it, you know, a lot of teams or a lot of um, stadiums didn't want to host any games, you know, and now they're the ones who look foolish now, the fact that they didn't have that foresight to see what this could be. So, so in some ways it was good it was at those smaller stadiums. At the same time, you know, it could have, you know, I did sort of feel... The semi-final, which it was great, it was at Bramall Lane, but then we probably could have sold a lot more tickets elsewhere, you know, so maybe he could have had another match at maybe Man City's, uh, you know, because he'd had one at Old Trafford, obviously the opening game, maybe he could have had something there or at Newcastle or wherever it was, you know, just... Uh, but obviously, you know, those decisions were made a long, long time before the tournament started. You can't just switch venues, can you, during the middle of a tournament? So so I think it's, those are the main points, I'd say. I know that we've focused a lot on on the uh, on the Euros, but you've also just come back from the Commonwealth Games. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, everything that's gone on there? Yes, I think for the Commonwealth Games, I mean, again, it's just carried on that momentum. You know, I know we talk about momentum, but it, and I think, you know, we had the same thing in 2019 where we had like quite a few women's sports or sports involving women that um, or tournaments or events that that we could really showcase and the same happened this year so you know the Commonwealth again it and I think it because it, it was again was in the UK it's just been this fantastic summer of sport hasn't it you know we've had uh, you say you've been able to watch the women's Euros in this country and then also we've had the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham and and again the absolute vibe in Birmingham was brilliant you know it, like it was so busy and, and I think again post-Covid that you, you 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 everybody's just getting back to like feeling comfortable being in big crowds again. But you know the the vibe in the city, they absolutely loved it. They really embraced it. I mean, I went to things like beach volleyball, which you know there's probably not a huge fan base of beach volleyball in Birmingham. Let's be honest. But every time I went, the stands were you know this little temporary stadium they built. It was full, and it was you know so I really enjoyed that. But again, it, it, it for me obviously the Commonwealth Games from obviously male, female, and also a disability perspective, they were, they were they're showcasing, you know, some brilliant athletes and, and brilliant sports as well. So, you know, and obviously that has done, that did that did well at the BBC as well, the Commonwealth Games. And then we've just had the European Championships as well, which I think that has done equally as well. Although I think fans are thinking, my God, what else is coming? Because they've had so many sporting events. And we obviously had the World Athletics just before the Commonwealth as well. So 
it has been a very very busy summer but you know if you love sport then you've, you've it's been a great summer for you and, and, and you know and, and, and what I love about it the fact it's not just been football there has been lots of other <laughs> sports happening as well that people uh, have enjoyed so and it's just been great to for me uh, to showcase just brilliant women athletes really across them all. Yeah, and uh, the BBC, you're showing no signs of uh, of slowing down. You've uh, greening all these new deals all the time. There was one uh, announced recently, was it last week, the week before, with the uh, Scottish Premier League, yeah. uh, Women's Premier League over there. So it's it's probably also a benefit for, for the BBC's perspective that women's sports is at this point, doesn't have that extremely inflated rights value that we're seeing in the men's game because what I'm reporting on all the time is is the, the these ludicrous rights deals that are agreed across the world uh, CBS has just agreed a 250 million dollar per season deal for the Champions League in the yeah. states which and these are sorts of things with the amount of money that well now uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has with BT Sport uh, that Sky has the BBC can't really compete with that so it's good that you can maybe focus on these other tournaments. And and, and how important is it now that the uh, UK government has added the women's international football tournaments to its listed events? How important is that? Well, I think it was massively important because, you know, if, if they hadn't have done, then, you know, I think, well, I know we haven't, we don't know yet what's happening with the World Cup next year, but, you know, that if it wasn't, um, like a listed event, then, you know, that could quite easily have gone to a non-linear um, broadcaster, so, or non-network uh, broadcaster, so, uh, or free to air, I should say, sorry, because <laughs> I've been on holiday, I've forgotten all of my terms, so, you know, that, that could have been in danger of that happening, you know, and I think, you know, and I, obviously I'm biased because I work for the BBC and I'm not just saying, but I, I think, at this stage, uh, women's sport has to be visible for it to. So it, for, for me, you know, it, obviously I, I want it to be on the BBC, the World Cup next year. But you know, it should, it will be on a uh, free-to-air channel somewhere. So let's hope it is the BBC. But um, but to me, I thought, you know, and and obviously Barbara, who's my big boss, you know, she was lobbying the government uh, and, and others as well, just to sort of say, you know, we we need these events protecting um and, and it's so pleasing that actually the government did listen to that and and and, and do that because yeah for me i think I, I think it would be crying shame for any major event not to be able to be shown on on free to air television because you know we've seen what's happened to other sports when they they have gone behind a paywall you know we know that cricket sky do a fantastic job don't get me wrong but if people aren't willing to pay for things then you know cricket found itself in a position where it was struggling and that's obviously why they've done certain things like put highlights back on on um on free to air and also you know created a hundred for, for reasons you know where they've been able to get some some of those games onto free to air as well as sky but then that is just bringing that new generation into watch a sport that might not have been watching it so i'm going to be biased because i work for the bbc but I, ju- I do i think it was incredibly important and i just thank goodness they did do that then because i said you know that has really helped for for next year and beyond really so to bring things full circle we started off by talking about the the viewing figures for the final of about 17 million on the bbc linear channel should the bbc get the rights to the world cup next year is your target would your target be to break that 20 million if possible um I think I think it, it, the time difference is going to be a factor, isn't it? So I think you've got to take that into consideration. But you know, if England find themselves in another final and it's a World Cup final, 
as you say, you know, the fact you watched it at school, I think loads of schools would be watching it. Mm. I don't know, yeah, for a couple, well, actually it'd be in school holidays, won't we? But, you know, I think people would, you know, I remember watching the 2003, the Rugby World Cup final, because obviously that was in Australia, wasn't it? And that that was at whatever lunchtime or something it was in the UK. So I think if it, it, you know, people will watch it if they do get to that stage, but they would have to get to something like a final to even think of figures like that but you know obviously I know we've got the men's world cup coming up this year as well so we'll see how they get on but yeah I mean I think we've got to be realistic and we've got to put all those caveats in place but I think if if the men or women got to a final then obviously we'd expect big figures again on on, on free-to-air television. So that's the show. Thank you very much to BBC Sports' Anna Thompson and to you for listening. TV Watch is written, produced and mixed by me, Jonathan Easton, and Digital TV Europe's editor is Stuart Thompson. You can find me on Twitter at EastJohnEast or get in touch with me via email at jonathan.easton at informer.com. You can follow Digital TV Europe at Digital TV Europe on Twitter and at digitaltveurope.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter that will keep you up to speed on all the latest goings on in the TV industry. And if you're new to the show and would like to be informed when the latest episodes are released, you can subscribe to TV Watch on your preferred podcast platform of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whatever. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.